I um, was thinking the other day about what God was saying to me in this time in my life, and I recall early in my walk with Christ, I got saved in 1992, I had just gotten home from Desert Storm, and I was uh, not really looking for anything like that from a spiritual context, but you know, it's, it's interesting that God pursues us with his love. He looks for us when we're not looking for him. How do you remember the day he came and pursued you and looked for you when you weren't even minding him any, any, uh, paying him any mind? And I think that the thing that really hit me was because I was in a place in my life where I was kind of low and I was downtrodden is, is I began to hear people tell me, man, if you just get in church, man, all that stuff will settle down. If you'll just give your life over to the Lord, all that stuff will just begin to, to calm. And, and, and I want you to know that I, I know that they, their intentions were, were right, but, but I want to say to you loudly tonight, church, I want to say to you very loud and clear that just because you get in church doesn't mean all your problems are going to go away. Just because you get in this book doesn't mean all your problems are going to go away. Just because you start serving in the children's ministry. Now, I believe there should be a pl special place in heaven for anybody that keeps children in the nursery. Can I get an amen? But I want you to know that just because you're serving in the nursery or teaching, or guess what? Just because you're a preacher trying to do what God's called you to do and launch a church does not mean that the enemy's going to leave you alone. In fact, let me be so bold tonight to say this. When you were in the world... You were not a threat to the enemy's power and to his place in this, in this world. The Bible says, Steve, he's the prince of the power of this air. In the book of Job, we find out that he has a limited reign, but it is a very broad reign. He can go here and there to and fro about the earth. The, the reality is this. Here on this earth in this day, his days are very numbered. You can read the book of, of Revelation and realize that there's already a, a finished end to Satan's power here on this earth. In fact, he would be the first one cast into the lake of fire. We know that. In fact, I want you to say this to him sometimes when he's lying to you and he's coming against you. A couple of things. One, James 4, 7 says, you resist the devil and he'll what? He'll flee from you. Now, he won't go far, but he will tuck tail and run. But I think it's important to tell him sometimes, and I say this out loud. I don't know if you do, but there's power. There's life and death in the power of the tongue to sometimes just tell him, you are a defeated foe. Your days are numbered, Satan. Because it gives me, if it doesn't do anything to him, it gives me a lot of confidence when I say that. But guys, when, when God situates us, he told Jeremiah, he said, I knew the plans that I had for you for an expected end. Can I say this to you? He knows exactly what he has called you to do. He knows the end before the beginning starts. But the reality is, I believe that Satan knows it too. Do you know why? Because we say it out loud. We tell him our fears. We tell him what we're frustrated with. We give him the power to use against us the very things that we're afraid of. In fact, if you look into the book of Job, you see that Job, after he lost his children, after he lost his wealth, after he lost everything that he had, and even his wife said, why don't you just curse this God that you serve and die? She was telling him to commit suicide. It goes on to, to say later in that scripture that the very things that he had feared the most had come upon him, which indicates that we empower the enemy by saying things that we're afraid of. I want you to know Satan doesn't know your heart tonight. He doesn't know your mind, but he does know as he begins to look at the things that are fashioning themselves, he realizes, watch this, that as you get into your perfect will for God for your life, he begins to see, as other people do, that there is something powerful on the horizon in your life. In fact, if you have your Bibles tonight, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 4. I'm going to read a few verses there, but before I do, as you're turning there, I want you to know tonight that the closer your walk comes with Jesus the greater the fight the enemy's going to throw at you in your home. I want to say that again because I want you to hear this loud and clear. 
the more you get involved with the things of God and the kingdom of God, the greater the intensifying of the enemy's attack is going is to grow in your life. Let me tell you where he's going to come at you first. He's going to come at your marriage. He's going to attack you in your marriage. Why? That's the first institution on earth ordained by God. Long before the church had any kind of standing, it was the home. It was the marriage. The Bible says as God created all things, he looked out and he said it was not good that man be alone. So created him a helpmeet and brought him alongside the man so she would complete him and, and she would be everything he was in and she'd tell him to pick up his clothes off the floor, those kind of things in the Bible. The reality, though, is that you and I, has, God has a plan for our life, and Satan begins to see these things fall into place, and the, he begins to intensify the attack. And the problem is, and I say this without any kind of joy in my heart, but we oftentimes, we abort the greatness that God is doing in our life by getting frustrated and say, hey, what's the point, God? I didn't have these problems when I wasn't in church, and now look at what's coming upon me, and we walk away. That's why people are walking out of the church by the multitudes today in the society in which we live. I think that we have to realize, though, that there is a hope in those attacks. Because here's what he's going to do, guys. Mom and Daddy, when he can't get your marriage, guess what he's going to do? He's going to go to your children. And I'm going to tell you something. I, I appreciate the prayers that, that my wife used to pray over our children, praying over their baby crib, over when they were infants, say, we're praying for their, their spouses. We're praying for their life. We're praying for their career. And we see that having come to fruition now. But can I tell you something? I want you to start praying a prayer like Hosea prayed over Gomer. Lord, pray a hedge of thorns around my children. Pray a hedge of thorns around my marriage that if, if they wanted to find their way to something that was not good for them or contrary to the will that you have for their life, that the Holy Spirit would prick them back into a right way of walking. Because here's the thing, Satan's not going to give up. And he's certainly not going to give up on you. But I want to give you some hope tonight that despite the problems that can exist in our life, despite the inability for us to maybe have a day where Satan doesn't lie to us, try to steal or rob or destroy from us, that there is a way that you and I can persevere. And I want to read to you a few scriptures in Acts chapter 4. Keep in mind that the Acts were written as Acts of the Apostles. We see the apostles going about. Jesus has now died. Jesus has been uh, crucified. He's been buried. Three days later, he has risen. He has actually lived on the earth some 40 days, and people had seen him. Over 500 eyewitnesses saw him walking about the streets of Jerusalem. And in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he ascended from the Mount of Olives to go be seated at the right hand of the Father. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, some 120 people in a room. And the Holy Spirit fell on them for the first time, indwelling them, doing completely different than he had done in the Old Testament, began to indwell them, to abide in them, never to leave them, never to forsake them, to watch this, to empower them to do what they cannot do in and of themselves. And from that point forward, we begin to see the unfoldings of the acts of the apostles. And now there's great intensity of a persecution coming upon them so much so that they're thrown into prison they're beaten they're, people are stoned we see Stephen the first martyr that was stoned for being a, a child of God and for preaching for being a deacon if you will and then Acts chapter 4 the same thing is unfolding and then we see them being released from prison and watch what happens as soon in verse 23 as soon as they were freed Peter and John returned to other believers and told them what the leading priest and, and elders had said to them Verse 24, when they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. We talked about that this morning and why prayer is so important. 
And listen to what they said. Oh, sovereign Lord, indicating, of course, that he is fully in control. It may feel like sometimes that your prayers aren't getting past the ceiling of your bedroom. But can I tell you something? God is with you. He's already got a plan. He already knows your prayer request. He's already, listen, if you could get everything that you want to see God do in your life, the Bible says he wants to do above that which you can ask, think, or even imagine. And what he's saying here in their prayer is, O sovereign Lord, is acknowledging that he is fully in control of all things. And watch what he says. Creator of the heaven and the earth, the sea, and everything in them. You spoke a long time ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Where were the nation, Why were the nations so angry? Why did, they, why did they waste their time with futile plans? The king of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and the Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. Can I tell you something? It's going to happen in your city. It's going to happen in every city because Satan is at work. But I want you to know God has overcome the world. There's nothing in the world Satan can throw at you that God hasn't made a way for. And he said this, this has happened here in this very city. Then he goes on to name some people. For Herod, Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against, listen, not the church, not your home, not me. Bruce, not you, but listen to what it says. They were united against Jesus. Big deal. In fact, if you look into the scriptures, you hear of a man named Gamaliel. And Gamaliel begins to rebuke the religious crowd of the day. And there was an uprising where these apostles were going to spread the gospel. And these same things were occurring. As they were preaching the gospel, people were coming against them. And the religious leaders of the day were saying, we need to shut this down. We need to stop this. It's going to be like this guy, Jesus. And, and, and Gamaliel spoke up, and he said something profound. Gamaliel said, we've seen uprisings before. And he began to call out two or three names. And he said, you remember over here it happened. There were three or 400 people following, but that person died. And guess what? It went away to nothing. And, oh, remember over here there was a woman that rose up, and there was a 500 following. But guess what? It fizzled out, and it meant to nothing. But you know what? If what these men do be of God, then be careful because you find yourself fighting against the very face of God. And see, the same is true here. They weren't just fighting against them. They were fighting against Jesus. And it goes on to say, but everything in verse 28, listen to this. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And here's our text in verse 29. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness. In preaching your word. Verse 30, stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through your name of your holy servant Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preached the word of God with boldness. Let us pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus tonight that you would help me rightly divide your word of truth, that you would help us to make application, that you may be glorified, and we may leave tonight more bold than when we came in. And it's in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen and amen. First, I want to talk to you tonight about why does the enemy want to silence you. Look in verse 30 with me. So that many miraculous signs and wonders may be done. What if, just what if tonight, that there is such a great plan on your life, on your particular marriage, on your particular home, 
that the main reason that Satan's coming against you is so that that work will not persevere, so that that work will not happen. Let, let's put this into context for a minute so we can see how it unfolds. If my marriage was attacked in 1999, it wasn't just some arbitrarily attack on my life. It was a, there was a reason, and that reason so was maybe so my kids could see God restore the marriage, and then my kids would grow up and, and live a life according to God's will. And then two years later, God would call me to preach. Two years after that, Rush would be created. A few years after that, I'd start preaching in different countries. At one particular place, over a 1,000 people were saved in, in one place in Africa. And, and to see all of these things unfolding, not knowing what each one of those people that were touched, what they're going out to do, and then I come back here, and then, then we stand here tonight. The whole point of reference is that there's a progress, a flow that's moving on, and it's going to happen in your life too. And Satan's wanting to stop that in its tracks because he sees what's going to happen if this thing's turned loose. You gotta ask yourself the question. Check it out. If you're going through just hell on earth right now in your home, ask yourself this question. Why does Satan want to so badly destroy my life? What is it that you have that's so incredibly valuable that the enemy does not want to turn loose in this community? Have you thought of it that way? Because I think if we're not careful, here's what we do we kind of get into that woe is me mentality. And here's what you do, and I'll say it out loud. When your marriage gets attacked, your children are running out crazy. You start to think you're alone, and you're the only one that is going. Can I tell you something? You're not alone. And I'm not going to ask you to do this, but if we were to just ask questions in this room, like how many marriages have been attacked in the last week, I submit to you probably every single hand of people who were married would go up. But you've got to ask yourself and self the question, why does the enemy want to silence me? Here's what I believe. I believe that before anything supernatural can truly occur, there has to exist no hope in that situation. I believe that when there is no hope, now hear what I'm saying. I mean, when you have turned to the counselors, there was no answer. When you turned to the judge and there was no answer. When you turned to mama and daddy and there was no answer. And hey, when you turned to the preacher and there was no answer, there was no help to be found. Then God says, now I'm ready to do my greatest work. Look at the woman who with the issue of blood for some 12 years, she had sought professionals and doctors, and she had said, she spent, the Bible says she spent all her wealth to try and be healed of this free bleeding condition that she had. She had become Tame or dirty in that culture, so much so that she would have had to walk into a community and announce her filth before people. She would have had to say, I'm dirty, get out of the way, because according to Hebrew culture, if they even touched her, they too would be unclean. If she lied in a bed with her husband, he would get up unclean. If her child came and hugged her neck, they would be unclean. All of these things permeating around this woman's disease and her free bleeding and she did all that she could do and there was no hope to be found according to the scriptures yet one day Jesus walked by and she made the statement if I can just get to the hem of his garments if I can just touch a little part of who he is I know that I can be made whole the Bible says something profound as Jesus was touched that day I want you to hear this don't think this of a metaphor think of this as a historical account that when she touched Jesus Jesus said these words he stopped as the multitudes thronged against him, and he said, somebody touched me. The immediate response from his disciples were, sure, oh, great master, many have touched you. It's almost like they're mocking him. And he said, no, 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 something was different. Because when this person touched me, listen to what he says, virtue, power has left my body. 
When was the last time you touched Jesus into a place of supernatural power coming out of him and into your life? Now, immediately when I say supernatural, some of us that's been in the church a long time get a little freaked out. But So let me just go ahead and tell you what supernatural is. Supernatural is where natural ends and God picks up. Let's look at it that way. Let's don't even put some kind of doctrinal spin on this that doesn't exist. Because the reality is, is you were saved. How many of you are saved? Wave your hand at me. If you've been saved, you're a child of the most high God. Supernatural power entered into your life. You were dead in your sins. You were rebirthed. It was a slate been made clean, and you were alive, and there is nothing in the world standing between you and a holy God. That is supernatural. Supernatural exists when you've done all you can do in your marriage and it's over. And God comes in and says, hey, I'm not going to restore it. I'm going to give you a brand new one. That's supernatural. Anything that transcends, that goes beyond the natural is where you and I want to operate. That's called supernatural. And according to the scriptures in verse 30, that there were many miracles and signs and wonders to be done. That's why the enemy wants to silence you. In Christ, hear me. And we're talking about this on on Wednesday night. If I walk in Christ, Michael, if I step in Him and the Holy Spirit is the the outflowing out of my life, you know what's going to happen? There's going to be fruit that's going to be bore. It's called fruit of the Spirit. And then I'm going to be able to love the unlovable. I'm going to be able to have meekness. I'm going to be able to have that long suffering and patience. Man, I don't know if you ever prayed for patience or not, but God gets a kick out of that prayer. Pray for patience. You know what He'll make you do? Say it with me out loud. He'll make you what? Wait. So not only do we see why the enemy comes against us to have boldness, but secondly, next, we must decide which path we intend to take. You know, I think that really there's only two potential steps that we make in our life. I think we have attempted to draw a gray area. We've attempted to say, well, there's, a, there's an okay place over here that we can stand, when in fact, it's either of God or it's of the enemy. There's not a middle road for us. In fact, if you look in the Scripture, you see the one time in Revelation as he's writing to the letter uh, to the churches in Asia Minor, seven churches, seven conditions of churches today. He said, look, I would rather that you be hot or cold. Because if you're lukewarm, check it out. If you're lukewarm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it. I'm going to vomit you. I'm going to spew you. That's what he says. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Many preachers, I think, have missed this one. I probably missed it early in my, in my first part of my ministry before I went to seminary. But I found out something about this. I began to study the area that this letter was written in. And there was an area where Colossae had this cool water that was good for drinking. It was something that was very clean. It still exists there today. And then up, up the range, there was a place called Hierapolis. And Hierapolis had this hot water. And this hot water was, was good for medicinal purposes, for aching muscles and, and things of that nature. They could go and sit in that water, and, and it would make them feel good. So Jesus wasn't saying, hey, I'd rather you be hot and on fire for the glory of God, or I'd rather you just be cold and indifferent. Can I tell you something? God would never say that. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life. He doesn't want you to be over here indifferent. He said, I've come that none would perish, but that all come to repentance. There's no point in the kingdom for cold and indifferent. The cold he was speaking of, church, was that you and I as the church should be a cold drink of refreshing water. If somebody walks through that door, guess what? Some people walk through this door And they're looking for a reason not to come back because they've been hurt before. And here's what we do in churches across the nation today. We give them reasons to never come back. We need to be a cold drink of water. You say, well, Mark, that's the greeters. Let me tell you something. If you're a child of God, everybody in here should be a greeter to somebody walking through those doors. The other aspect is we need to be hot. Kind of like my wife. We need to be hot. That was pretty good, wasn't it? 
First Lady. I like that. We're going to use that for sure. First Lady Stephanie. But we need to be hot, guys. We need to be on fire. We need to be, we need to be that consuming fire of God operating through our life. To love the unlovable. Listen, it's easy to love people that can love you back. It's easy to love people that can love you. It's easy to do a favor for someone in hopes of it. Here's what we say. We don't mean to, but here's what we say. You owe me one, Rodney. I'll do this for you, but you owe me one, dude. Man, what happened to just wanting to do something for somebody so that we can be a picture of Christ who died for us? And guess what he's not asked you to do? He's not asked you to die for him. In fact, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, he says, I want you to be a living sacrifice. I died for you that you may live. I mean, that's a good deal. I think it's a pretty good deal when you balance it out. Because really, the wages of our sin is death. That's what he could call us into. But he's died for you and died for me. And mamas and daddies, boy and girls, if that don't get you pumped, there's something wrong with us. To know, watch this, that there is a potential for us to quit or to drive on. In 1987, when I went into the military, I remember I was a part of the rock platoon. Our company that we were in was called Delta Dragons. We breathe fire. We blew. I mean, there was all kind of stuff we would say, and it would just get us pumped up. And we're a rock platoon. And the guy would tell us, he said, you know what? As a rock, if you're broken and somebody comes against you and crushes you, you're still a rock. You may be a smaller rock, but you're still a rock. And he would tell us, he'd say, what I want you to do, guys, I was 17 years old. I might have weighed 140 pounds soaking wet. And he would tell me, he'd say, get in there, Pritchett, dig your heels in. And when you can't go any further, you just drive on and go further. You know what he did? He pulled out of me something I didn't know was in me. David, I'm sure you can relate to that going through the Marine Corps. The reality is, guys, there's a lot more in you and I than we know. That's not only true physically, that's also true spiritually. If you get to the point where you feel like, and, and, and we've all been here, it happens to preachers too, don't it, Steve? It happens to all of us. We get to a point where we just want to throw in the towel and say, what's the point? I'll tell you what the point is. There just may be something on the other side of crossing over into that line and taking just one more step. you got to wonder. In fact, if you go on to look at the Scriptures there in verse 31, it says, after they prayed, the meeting place shook. Every time in Scripture I see that, I get kind of a little giggle in my spirit. I used to see people at my grandparents' church, they would giggle. It was called Holy Spirit Laugh or something. I don't really know what it was called. It kind of freaked me out as a kid, to be quite honest with you. But I, I get this little laugh in my spirit when I'm praying and nobody's around. I know if somebody were watching me, they would think I was a freak because I'm praying and I just start giggling and I start thinking. Because here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, I've seen some cool, cool displays of stage production. This year at Rush Weekend at Atlanta Motor Speedway, I saw Hillsong United and Jesus Culture bring it in a way. I mean, the production was through the roof. And I've heard the music and the bass and everything going on and, and, and all this stuff happening. But that's not what he's talking about. There is a Holy Spirit shaking of the place that occurred there. It, it, it occurred in the, in the jail when Paul and Silas were in there. and they, The midnight hour. You know what that means? When all hope was gone. The darkest moment of the night. And they were, they were shackled to a wall. And they began to sing. And they began to praise the Lord. And the Bible says the whole jail shook. And when it shook, watch, watch what happened. The shackles came off of their arms and their feet. And the gates slung open. 
And the jailer was freaking out. He was like, oh, my God, he's supposed to take his life because he knew that the whole jail, the prisoners had walked out. And one of them calls out and said, hey, man, it's cool. I'm still here. See, they were in prison, but they were completely free. You and I are free, but we're in prison because we don't believe and operate in the fullness of God because we've never seen the meeting place shake. Man, it's time. It's time to see the meeting place shake. And you say, Mark, what are you talking about? I'm not talking about running across the top of these chairs, although I feel like sometimes I could do that. I, in fact, I did it one time at a church I was preaching at in Toronto. And it was a predominant, matter of fact, the whole church, but maybe six people were African-American. Most were Africans that came uh, seeking asylum from Africa. And I got to preach, and I had on a full suit. Man, these jokers got to preaching back to me. I was pumped. It was, um, I was amazing. And I stood up in that chair, and I started. I was. I was awesome, y'all. You just go ask them. And I was just preaching, and it just got better. And they had preached back to me. And preach it, brother. I go, I think I will. And I got pumped, and I started running. I stepped in a woman's lap. So the Lord said, don't ever run across chairs again. So I don't do it. When was the last time you felt God's presence so thick? So real. You heard his voice so loud that the foundation of your heart shook. I believe sometimes that it's in the moment. Hear me. I believe this is for somebody here tonight. I believe you got in your car tonight to come out to a a school facility at a church launch to hear this guy say this. Because the Holy Spirit's the one that said it to me just now. I believe with all of my heart, somebody sitting here tonight, and you're this close from giving up. Maybe you're this close to giving up on on your husband or your wife. Maybe you're this close to giving up on your job. Maybe you're this close to giving up on the church. Maybe you're this close to giving up on the Lord. You know what God just told me? He just spoke into my heart. You are about to see the foundations of your life shake if you'll just take one more step. I don't know what movie it was. It was one of the Raiders of the Lost Art thing. You remember they went, I don't know if anybody watched that or not, but there was a point, some of y'all are laughing, that's not real spiritual, is it? But it's really a good movie. There was a point where he had, Harrison Ford was going to get the Ark of the Covenant, and there was this huge abyss. There was this huge, did anybody see that? Anybody see that? Okay, cool. Good. I'm tracking. Some of y'all are not over spiritual. Okay. I did not ask you to watch Animal House. We're talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark, Okay. And he came to the edge of this cliff, this abyss, and he saw this, this drawing, and he knew that he had to step out and walk out. And he didn't see a floor. And as he began to read and understand that, he saw what he had to do. So he closes his eyes. I feel like this sometimes in my own life. I don't know if you've ever been there or not. But I feel like sometimes I'm just like, okay, Lord, I see what you're wanting me to do. But guess what? It's not possible. There's no, there's no ground to walk on. He goes, cool, that's exactly where I want you to step. And Harrison Ford did this. And when he took one step, his foot in the movie came way up. And he stepped. And as soon as he put his foot down, then what happened? He saw the road. He saw the path. It was there the whole time. You see, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidences of things not seen. Why are you going through so much turmoil in your life? God has a plan. How far before that plan is realized, you may be that far away. And you can rest assured that if you're right there about giving up, I believe with all my heart, you're about to see something miraculous happening. By pressing on and not quitting, you can expect a fresh touch from the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 31b real quick. And i got about seven more minutes. Y'all bear with me. 
It says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't confuse this with being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Don't f- confuse this with being saved. This is not talking about them being saved again. Because if you go and study this word, these were people already in the family. They were in the church. They were in the body. But guys, how many of you know, sometimes serving the Lord and doing, sometimes you can become empty as a child of God. Have you ever been there before? You can become empty. The Holy Spirit can refill you. In fact, if you look in the Scripture, uh, you see that He pours into you that you may what? Pour out on, upon, upon others, that you may become that broken bread and poured out wine. But when I pour out and I give and I give and I give, I become empty. And the Bible says that in that, in the context of that, they were filled again with the Holy Spirit. See, it's that pressing on that gets you that refilling. You take a step and you become empty. You take a step and you become empty. You keep pressing on and don't quit. He'll keep pouring into you. And guess what he'll give you? He'll give you exactly the amount that you need to pour out. And you just keep pressing on. Thirdly, real quick. And last, we must realize who holds it all in his hand and watch him break down the walls that hold back all that God has for you. Verse 31c says this. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. I'm going to ask the band to come on back up. The point of reference for all things church is that you and I can preach the word. Now, that may hit you a little funny because most of you say, well, Mark, I'm not called to preach. Well, you've got to realize that there's, there's, a, there's a preaching that you and I do that doesn't use our mouth. There's a preaching that you and I do every single day of our life that involves our walk so that other people may see Christ how in us. And, and I want you to understand this. People are watching you. Teachers, if you're a teacher in this room, your students are watching you. They know that you're a Christian. They look at your Facebook page. You can rest assured they are stalking you on Facebook. And they know you're a Christian. They know you're a member of a church. They know you help out with families, feeding families, or a rush. Or They know if you're in a feeding program or if you're doing something for the glory of God in some capacity in this community. They know that. And can I tell you what they're doing? They Listen, you, I hear what people say. You can't preach Jesus in the school. Can I tell you something? If you're a Christian and you're a teacher, you are preaching Jesus in the school. And I thank God for you because you are in the trenches, man. You are in there fighting the battles that a lot of mamas and daddies can't fight, won't fight, should be fighting, and you're doing it just by your walking. You never open your mouth. Some of y'all do, but we ain't going to talk about that. Some of y'all, but you don't have to even open your mouth. You just display it in the outflowing of your love. Man, you might be the only person that's told that kid he can do it all week long. You know what? Jesus said the same for you. You're just displaying that in their life. You're telling them, press on, guys. You can do it. Finish the fight. And you may not quote a scripture, but you're living it out in your life. And I know I pick on Michael a lot, but I, I like to do that. But Michael Stewart is, is an <laughs> don't Don't look at me that way. I'll call you up here to pray. But Michael is a police officer. He's a state trooper dear friend of mine and I know this for a fact and he makes no apology for this he stands up for the glory of God in his workplace it's not always popular I mean it's easy to pull somebody over and give them a ticket but what about pull them over and say you know see that there's something else going on there say hey let me pray with you and that's huge that is absolutely profound because you guys You guys are preaching a message with your life. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 and following. Listen, I want to close with this. I want you to hear this. Listen to these words and fit yourself into it. Don't just look at it as something that I or David or Steve or some other preacher does in his life. Listen. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Aren't you glad of that? 
whosoever. Man, I'm a whosoever. I thank God of that. Listen. But how should they call in whom they've not believed? And how should they believe in whom they've not heard? And how should they hear without a preacher? How can they hear without a preacher? If they don't hear, they can't believe. If they don't believe, they can't call. And if they don't call, they can't be saved. See, that's, that's an important part. But watch what it says. Listen, it goes on. It didn't stop there. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. And those that bring glad tidings of good things. But they have all not obeyed the gospel. Elijah said, Lord, who hath believed our report? Verse 17, here's our punchline. So then faith coming by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. How are they going to know if you don't tell them? Maybe this hits you funny tonight. Maybe you go, this is not really what I'm looking for in a church. Well, can I tell you something? This is what you're going to get here because that's what this book tells me. Is that every person that is a child of the Most High God has a story to tell. I don't care if you're 84 or if you're 4. Cody, where are you? Where's Cody? Come up here. I don't care how old or how young you are. I don't care what what demographic you come from. I don't care if you're a teacher. I don't care if you own a restaurant. I don't care if you take out trash. I don't care if you are the bank president. Guess what? God doesn't look at all that. He just wants what this young man, what you just saw, he just wants your availability. You see how quick he ran up here? If I'd have called some of your names, you'd have ran the other way. But you know what's so cool about this young man? I know I brag on him a lot. You know why? Because I believe that the Word of God tells me I need to invest in this young man. And so do you. You know what he does every single Sunday? Hey, Pastor Mark, I'm here. I'm the praying pastor. Can I pray tonight? And I told him he could tonight, but then I saw my buddy Kyle. And I just had to call you up here, buddy, because I love you, man. But this young man right here is a picture of only one thing, and that's availability. You and I have a responsibility to preach the gospel in our life. Some of us have the responsibility of preaching it up here on Sunday. But every one of us, it's your restaurant, as a teacher, as a social worker, as a police officer, whatever it is, preach the gospel. And preach it with boldness, unapologetically, without any ashamed bone in your body because it is the power of the salvation. He was not ashamed of you and I. When in the height of Passover, he came into that city street and he hung naked before his accusers and he died for you and for me. Became my sin, your sin, that you and I may be made the righteousness of God in him with every head bowed and every eye closed. Do you know that you know that you know tonight that you are a child of the Most High God? Do you know that if you were to die tonight, because guys, we don't know. We don't know when we're going to die. We don't know when we'll breathe our last. But do you know that if you were to do that right now, that you have heaven for a home, that Jesus is your Savior, every head bowed and every eye closed? If you know that tonight, I don't want you to hope so, but if you know it, I'm the only one looking. I want you to lift your hand up and say, Mark, I'm confident, I'm sure, I know it, that I'm a child of God. Raise your hand up real high. Raise it up high. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. A few hands didn't go up. I want to say this to you. Jesus died 
for you. He died for your sin. He died for your frustrations. He died for your, for your frailties. He died for your weaknesses and your strength. He died for you. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of our sin is death. That's what we deserve for sin against a holy God. But whosoever, he says in Romans 10.13, shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. I want to lead you tonight in a simple prayer of faith.